Good to be back. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights to the world, in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. This is God's word given for our good. Uh, please be seated. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask now that you would um, uh, answer the promise that you give us in your word, that your word will never return void. And even as we are jumping into a text which takes place in the middle of the book of Philippians, we are in the middle of a letter. Uh, we know that you uh, wrote these words or you had Paul write these words so that the church might be built up. And so I ask that you would build us up now by your Holy Spirit. We also pray for Evan Langley and his family as he is down in Oregon caring for them. I pray that you would give him wisdom in how to speak well and love his family well. Uh, please comfort them, heal his sister's body. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's good to be back. Uh, it's good to be back even in spite of the circumstances. And before uh, we jump into today's text, I want to make a few structural observations about the passage or about the book of Philippians. Uh, the section we're reading in Philippians comes from a, a portion in this book called Paul's Appeal. Paul's Appeal. And it begins in chapter 1, verse 27, and then it finishes in chapter 2, verse 18. And in chapter 1, verse 27, uh, Paul makes his intention clear. Uh, 1, verse 27 says this, "...only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and, whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel." So chapter 1, verse 27 shows us that, in spite, or that Paul's concern for the Philippian church is that it would maintain unity in spite of the trials which they're going through. And then Paul builds on this in chapter 2, verse 3, where he argues that we embody church unity by doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, counting others more significant than ourselves. And then he goes on to say that this is exactly what Christ has done in the incarnation. Chapter 2, verse 6 says, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Verse 7, but emptied himself. How did he empty himself? 
by taking the form of a servant. And so this leads us to today's uh, text. Paul is saying that any unity which we have, we have in light of the incarnation. We have in light of Jesus taking on human flesh. And this text is a particularly challenging one, particularly if you look at verse 12, where it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. How can we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling if salvation is by grace alone? How can we do this? We have to keep in mind Paul's goal. Paul's goal. And that's the unity of the church. And so as we dig in, we will see that in this passage, Paul is arguing two things. He's arguing that we must live in such a way that fosters church unity. Why? Because the faith of others is the fruit and joy of our unity. We are to live in such a way that uh, fosters church unity. If you've spent any amount of time watching war films or sports films, you'll know the common uh, trope in these films is for the coach before the big game or the king before the big battle gives this rousing speech. Uh, the, the examples that come to mind for me are the movie Miracle with uh, Kurt Russell, uh, where he gives this powerful speech before sending off the American team to play the Soviets. Or another example is, uh, if you know, the St. Crispin's Day speech from Shakespeare's King Henry V. Right? In this, at this point in the play, the English are preparing to battle the French, and they're not feeling very good about the battle that, before, that is before them. And then comes King Henry V, and after giving this rousing speech where he promises glory and uh, honor for those who fight valiantly in battle, he says this, he says, but we in it shall be remembered, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. So King Henry V has just delivered this rousing speech where the men of England who were downtrodden, they were fear, fearful, they were disunited, and then he stirred them into bold unity. And like King Henry V, the Apostle Paul is doing something very similar. He doesn't say, we happy few, we band of brothers. Paul says, therefore, my beloved, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. So you see that this, is, this passage is not a rebuke like uh, Paul gives to the church in uh, 1 Corinthians, where he's rebuking them for immorality, right? Paul is not approaching the church with a harsh tone, hence my beloved. You see, just before this passage, Paul has offered Christ in, as an example of how they are to live in relation to one another. Uh, but not only this, uh, in verse 2 of this chapter, it says this, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And then he goes on to command them, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then following this, Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And our instinct, I think at least my instinct initially, is to take this as sort of like a finger wag, right? Now that you're saved, 
you better make sure you do good works. That's how it, we can tend to read this passage. Right? And while it certainly is true that salvation results in a certain way of lift, living, I think we misunderstand the passage when we understand it in that way. In order to understand what Paul is saying, I think it's important we understand a few things. First, we see that Paul says, work out your own salvation. Right? When he says your own, think y'all's. Work y'all's salvation with fear and trembling. Right? It's not just the individual, it's the corporate body. So if I were to say, if I were Paul, I would say, Grace Mount Vernon, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, one another, all of you together. And then verse 12 is a, a bit of a confusing sentence, um, particularly this idea of working out our salvation. One commentator says this, in your relationship with one another, live out the salvation Christ has brought you. This is therefore not a text dealing with individual salvation, but an ethical text dealing with the outworking of salvation in the believing community for the sake of the world. So in other words, Paul's answering the question, in light of the gospel, how should we then live? And what Paul is saying to the Philippian church is he's saying, I know what you have done. You have lived unified. He says, I know what you are doing. And I want you to continue to do that very thing as you look forward. Right, I was thinking about this the first time I preached at Grace Mount Vernon. Uh, Tommy Hanna, I was talking to Tommy Hanna, and I said, I've never led liturgy and preached on the same Sunday. And he said, don't worry, they're very gracious. They're very gracious. And you were, and then you had me back again. And I thought, these people, they're very patient. And then the third time, and I would say, not with me, but would you continue to do this with other Christian teachers, right? Giving them opportunities to grow. That is a way of working out your salvation with fear and trembling, way of building up the church, right? The way in which Paul characterizes this working out is with fear and trembling, right? And fear and trembling carries with it this sense of awe in the presence of God. So the way I like to illustrate this is I used to work at a deep dish pizza place uh, called Lou Malnati's in downtown Chicago. Lou Malnati's. And uh, Lou has been dead for quite a few years, uh, but his son Mark was kind of leading the, the pizza place as, as I was working there. And once in a while, we would find out that Mark would be visiting in a couple of weeks. And there was this, always this air of seriousness as Mark's approach was coming, we would scrub the counters extra hard and we would make sure everyone's on their best behavior. Why? Because Mark would be working with us. Mark would be working with us because of who Mark was, right? He was Lou's son. We were working extra, extra hard. And in the same way, we must work out our own salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in our midst. It is God who works in our midst. The Apostle Paul is seeking to reframe the way in which we think about good works. Right? I want you to consider for a moment if you have had a spirit of grumbling or complaining towards a brother in Christ. If that's the case, I'd invite you to bring that grumbling and complaining to the Lord Jesus. 
And remember that because we have failed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and that's manifested in our grumbling, this very thing we have failed to do and we continue to fail to do, Christ has done. Right, chapter 2, verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Right, this very thing we fail to do, Christ has done for our behalf. He has humbled himself. And here's a quote from Andrew Murray on the topic of humility. Let us look upon every brother who tries or vexes us as God's means of grace, God's instrument for our purification, for our, for our exercise of the humility of Jesus, our life breathes within us, and let us have such faith in the all of God and the nothing of self that as nothing in our own eyes, we may in God's power only seek to serve one another in love. Well, like in King Henry V, King Henry did not give a rousing speech just because he likes rousing speeches. He gave the speech because he wanted to defeat the French in battle and unify France and England. Right? So also with Paul. Paul doesn't give us uh, this passage just for the sake of it. Right? We need to understand the why of our unity. What is the purpose of our unity? And that's my second and final point. And that's that the faith of others is the fruit and the joy of our unity. The faith of others is the fruit and joy of our unity. So look down at verses 14 through 18. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Verse 16, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul's arguing there's two outcomes of our unity. First, the faith of others, right? And you see this in verse 15, right? Among whom you shine as lights in the world, right? One commentator describes this verse in this way. He says, although the believer's role in Philippi puts them in strong con contrast to the paganism of Philippi, by holding fast to the message that brings life, they are offering the life that Christ provides to those who are dying, Right, so the way in which you shine before a lost world is through your love for one another, through your love for one another. For Paul, the primary way in which we shine before our neighbors is through the church's unity. And this is not unique to Paul. If you remember, Jesus in John 13 says this, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, Paul is arguing that our unity results in our light shining before a lost world. 
one story kind of related to this. I used to live in Minnesota, Minnesota, and I remember meeting a woman who had become a Christian, but she didn't grow up in the church. And she said one thing that really attracted her to the church was the way I met her through a group called RUF. Some of you know Tommy Anna. And she said what interested her was the way in which people spoke to one another, they didn't gossip, and they seemed to like being around each other. Right? This is not to downplay the importance of actually preaching the gospel, but it is to say that our unity really does persuade people of the truth of the good news of Jesus. And then second, second result of our unity, Paul speaks of holding fast. Right? And holding fast refers to the quality of our endurance, where do we, we do not let go of that which we have obtained. So look at verse 16. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run or labor in vain. And so Paul is saying your unity results in him knowing that he hasn't run or labored in vain. Oh, there was a friend my first summer in Bellingham back in 2021, uh, there was a friend of mine at church, and he was, grew up in the church, uh, grew up very reformed, uh, was baptized as an infant, and I always noticed he didn't take the Lord's Supper. And he had an interest in theology, he believed the facts of the gospel, but he didn't take the Lord's Supper. And I remember asking him one day, I said, why don't you take the Lord's Supper? And he said, there was a long explanation, but the long story short, he said there was a legalistic church he attended, and it kind of made him wary of taking the Lord's Supper. And I asked him, uh, do you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the good news? And he said, yes. So, so I said, you should take the Lord's Supper. There's no reason you shouldn't. And then months later, I had moved back to Chicago, and I get a letter in the mail uh, and in it, he said that he was finally taking it again. He was finally taking it and again. And that was a uniquely joyous moment for me. And this is what Paul is saying, right? On the last day, when Jesus comes again, we will see those we thought would never believe, who have believed in the Lord Jesus as a result of our unity. Those who we felt were beyond, were beyond hope Right, but we will rejoice in what God has done. And I'll conclude with this. Some of you probably have uh, parents or neighbors or children who do not believe in the good news. And I have sisters and cousins who are this way as well, and many dear friends. Right? And this can be discouraging. But Paul is arguing that the unity of the church will actually result in people believing in the gospel. Right? When you love one another for no reason other than what Christ, other than because of what Christ has done for you, people start to ask questions. Questions like, what is it about this church that leave mom and dad being so well loved? It's because the church believes in the incarnation. Right? Jesus humbled himself by taking the form of a servant. Right? And now the church humbles themselves because, what of, because of what Christ has done. And that's unity. When we live in such a way uh, that fosters church unity, it leads to people understanding the significance of the gospel, which ultimately leads to our joy. Let's pray to that end. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are thankful for uh, the good news of the gospel uh, that 
Jesus did not leave us in our misery or in our need, but instead uh, he came in the form of a servant. He came by taking on human flesh and dying for our sake. And we know that he uh, was risen for our sake. And so we ask that you would center uh, the, the hearts of Grace Mount Vernon around this important truth, that they would know that the center of their unity really is the work of Christ. And please build us up in the gospel. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.